Welcome to the Ultimate Fun Jobs Podcast, where our awesome guests share their incredible stories and success tips about some of the most amazing jobs on planet Earth. Here's your host, Dave Mendonca. Today's episode is a good one. My guest is Dave Denicky. He's the director of U.S. marketing for action figures and plush toys at Mattel. He will dive deep into how cool his gig is and how others can follow in his footsteps, plus much, much more. It's all coming up right now. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dave. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. So you work at Mattel. I, I have to ask you this question. In 2023, Barbie blew up. I know offline you mentioned that you weren't a part of that marketing campaign, but from sure. your point of view, like it had to have been a surprise. You know, there were things that about it that I think we expected, and I think there were things that kind of took it by storm. I think that from the cultural relevancy, if you look at where Barbie had been, especially through the lens of diversity and inclusion and just really being very topical and very in line with uh, cultural conversations, Barbie has done an amazing job of that over the past few years. But the cultural conversation that completely, you know, the wave that swept across the country, the pink wave in uh, Pantone Color 219C, of course, uh, and that comes from somebody who doesn't work on Barbie, but everybody knows that Pantone chip, that the Barbie pink, right? So, uh, you know, the wave that swept across the country and the momentum beyond the theatrical. It's one thing to say, okay, the box office was fabulous. And, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer, obviously there's a lot of noise around, uh, you know, those two movies coming out at the same time. But the continued cultural conversation around Barbie is something that, you know, from someone who definitely has uh, some some stake in that game uh, from a Mattel perspective, uh, it's, I've been really impressed with how well the team's been able to sustain the excitement and the conversation around Barbie. Unbelievable. I'm assuming you know people on that team. Like, did you oh, pick yeah. their brains about it? Yeah. Uh, you know, in my role, I work on the U.S. commercial side. And so the the Barbie team is right across the hallway. Uh, one of my old managers is is the vice president on, on the Dolls team. So we chat fairly often. And, you know, there's always conversations around, oh, how did you approach this? Or, you know, how did you structure that? Because, you know, one of the things that's interesting about developing a line around a movie is when you have something like Barbie that's been in market for, you know, since 1959, Barbara Millicent Roberts, that's uh, that's when Ruth Handler uh, brought Barbie first to market, right? So, you know, to have that kind of through line on Barbie, but then you have this moment in time with a movie, how do you balance that from a toy perspective? And how much do you want specific to the movie that's really more of a cultural conversation than it is something that's going to sell a lot of toys like a you know a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Super Mario or in my world Jurassic World you know those are very you know okay there's a there's a tight what we call show to shelf connection in terms of what you see in the in the movie is what you're going to see on shelf from a toy perspective but for Barbie you know they they didn't do a very large theatrical line of product you know there were certainly items and and those items did very well but I think one of the things that really helped Barbie is that the cultural noise swept across the entire brand so as a result the whole brand lifted up so that was that was really fun to see unbelievable i'm a bit of a, a marketing nerd so when i saw barbie and i saw you were coming on the show mattel i'm like okay i gotta ask dave okay so dave let's talk about your specific role what do you do at mattel you know a lot of people ask me that including the people i work with what is it that you actually do here uh so my role is u.s market so my job is basically to take the 
line of toys that our teams, that our designers and engineers have worked so thoughtfully on and figure out how to bring them into the U.S. market. And that's a few things. First off, it's pricing the line. So, you know, obviously we want to figure out what the retail price will be for the consumer. Make sure that that's the right value proposition. If a toy is worth $20, we won't charge 30 we also won't charge 10 because uh, we also need to make sure that we're setting the retailers up, the Walmarts, the Targets, the Amazons, et cetera. So having lots of conversations with them in terms of the distribution and what items would go to which accounts. And then also, you know, the fun side is, you know, demand generation, which is a, a fancy way of saying like, how do we get kids and collectors excited about the toys that we're bringing to market so that they know about them and understand what's make, what makes these toys so special? Unbelievable. So what specific lines of product do you work with? So I work across the action figures and plush portfolio. So I've got a few examples behind me, but for obviously for podcast listeners, close your eyes and imagine. Uh, so a lot of it is entertainment properties such as Toy Story and Pixar with Disney. We do WWE wrestlers. We do Minecraft, you know, top selling video game of all time. And then uh, Jurassic World Dinosaurs, of course, that's another big one for us. We also have some of our own IP, intellectual property, and that's He-Man Masters of the Universe for, for those, those children of the 80s to, to see He-Man and Skeletor. There you go, back in action. So I have a, I have a Castle Grayskull over my shoulder here just to have a camera, but that's uh, that was a fun one to bring back. And, uh, you know, when people find out that, you know, I work with Mattel, there's usually a question around, so how does that discount work? And uh, Castle Grayskull usually comes up in that conversation once, uh, once they find out about <laughs> I, it. So. I love it. How did you get there? What was your path to Mattel? So my path was a little different than the standard path. So I can kind of walk you through what I do, and then I'll, I'll give you a more typical okay. example. So, but mine came about through a career shift, not necessarily from a, a straight line path. So, uh, you know, it's funny because I was listening to an earlier episode of the Ultimate Fun Jobs uh, podcast with Jay Onret. And, um, you know, that was my original path is I wanted to go into sports broadcasting. So I did that no throughout way. my 20s. Yeah. And so I worked at Fox Sports for a little bit. Didn't didn't overlap with Jay. I would moved on to opportunities by the time he landed there. But um, you know, I you know, he mentioned that it's a lifestyle. And you guys talked about how that's a you know, that's a a grind at times and you can get burnt out. And I got to be 30 and I got married. And, you know, Jay mentioned going to Newark at 6 p.m. and my wife's a school teacher, which meant, you know, working Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday was not very conducive to you know, what I had wanted out of my life. So, okay, what am I going to do when I grow up? Right. So what landed the big pivot for me was understanding if I went back to school and I got a master's degree, that that would allow me the opportunity to take a step back and explore those other paths and understand what, what do I want to do? What do I not want to do? What are the skills that I have that I can leverage? And what are the new things that I need to know? Because when I went to business school, I had never done PowerPoints. I only time I used Excel was making a grocery list. So I really had to start from scratch from there. But I did wow. find a lot of my skills were were transferable. And I think if we talk a little bit later on about, you know, trying to explore different industries and understand a, a path within a career, understanding what your towering strengths are and what you do well will will take people very far. And I think that's something that coming out of business school allowed me the opportunity to explore, okay. What are the what are the corporate structures where I'm really going to to shine? And so I spent some time in Sony Electronics, and it wasn't a good cultural fit for me. You know, I love the uh, I love presenting. Uh, you know, some of that is the sports broadcasting background, but also I love the sound of my own voice. So there's that too. But you know, going over to Mattel, that was when I was interviewing for that spot uh, in the marketing department. 
10 years ago, you know, I talked to them about this is what I do well. And, you know, you can put me in front of a buyer and you can put me in front of a room of two people. You can put me in front of a room of 200 people. And this is where, you know, this is the background I had, the experience I have doing this. And so for Mattel, really been able to hit the ground running. Uh, I've been lucky to have to work for some great managers that have allowed me the autonomy and the the chance to grow my career and do different things in different places. But you know, that's kind of the, the the big step for me in changing my career was going to business school and getting that degree and understanding a little bit more of, you know, the business acumen, and the fundamentals of business. And then from there, it was what drew me to marketing was the combination of the creative storytelling. And then I'm also kind of a numbers guy. So, you know, I grew up collecting baseball cards, pouring through box scores, all that good stuff. And so that that art and science is something that I really love about marketing. It's one of my favorite parts of the job. Dave, listen, man, pivoting is scary. So listen, Terrifying. kudos to you, man. A lot of people, okay, they're they're pushing 30. They were going along a path and they're like, whoa, this doesn't fit anymore. What do I need to do now? So for you to just take that moment Okay, so this is a situation. Okay, what do I need to do? Where are my interests? Where are my skills, my strengths? See, Dave, a lot of people don't do the personal inventory of their skills. What the heck are you good at? Like, write it down. People don't do that. But yeah. you did, and you decided sports broadcasting wasn't the way to go, and you thought marketing was, and you took the time. You were able to, like, not everybody's able to go to school, go back to school, but you yeah, were able to take advantage that. of that. So good on you, man. Not everyone could do that. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, I took baby steps. I the, the first thing I did when I um, when I left sports broadcasting wasn't to fill out a business school application. I started by going to community college and taking an accounting class because I thought, well, I like numbers. Maybe I would like accounting. And the first part of that statement was true. I do like numbers. Uh, but, in, you know, I do have a little bit of an accounting acumen. But at the same time, it's not something I was really passionate about. It wasn't wasn't a way for me to capitalize on the things that I like to do and I do well. Um, I also spent some time working for the Los Angeles Sparks, the WNBA, working in their finance department. Mm -hmm. Again, trying to see like, okay, is there, you know, an overlay with sports that would st that would still appeal to me? And yeah, I liked it. But again, it's ultimately it comes back to the same work-life balance. And, you know, that the anchors in my life in my 20s were different than the anchors in my life, my 30s and and yeah, now my 40s. So I think that's something that um being able to take that inventory, as you mentioned, David, is something that is easier said than done. Uh, but it's an exercise that will will pay back many times over in terms of a return. And I like how you were fearless. Like you did the trial and error. Like you, like, man, like I've had to pivot in my career. I know my ego got in there because I used to be a TV reporter on camera, right? So you're like, ah, oh, I was up here. Now I got to go down there. So there's a part of you that, you know, you had to say goodbye to the ego. Like, because let's face it, sports is glamorous, sports media, right? Absolutely. But mm -hmm. yeah, like good on you. You like you, you kick the ego aside and you, you decide to listen, man, like that's that road, like that door's closed. You got to go elsewhere. Yeah, it's funny. You know, you go from being at the, the holiday bar party and you're catching up with with friends you haven't talked to in a while. And yeah, when you're working in sports broadcasting, you can't wait for that question to come up. Be like, yeah, <laughs> what do you do now? Like, oh, oh, this old thing. And then it was, uh, well, I'm working minimum wage 
Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can get off of unemployment and understand how to, you know, build something entirely new. And, you know, obviously I couldn't have done that without my wife and my family. And I'm, I'm very lucky to have um, been able to discover some opportunities along the way. So um, it's, as you said, it's, it's very scary, but, you know, ultimately when you <clears throat> invest in yourself and, you know, you take that inventory and, you know, you, you take that time to, understand, okay, what is it that I want to do, but also what is it that I don't want to do? Because, you know, sometimes process of elimination is just as helpful as well. Huge. Agreed. So, okay. You work at Mattel. Now, when I think of working at a toy company, I think of the movie Big. I think Tom Hanks <laughs> playing with the toys, getting paid <laughs> to do it. Do you play with the toys? I know you're a grown man. You're a grown ass man. I get it. But do you play with any of these toys? I don't know what you're talking about, Dave. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm playing with a, uh, a little squishy uh, Miles Morales plush. And sometimes they do have to take the toys away from me because I will start fidgeting with them a little too much during meetings. But uh, yeah, you know, if you look at the company logo in the company big, big <clears throat> in the movie big, it looks a lot like the Mattel logo. Just just throwing it out there. But uh -oh. um, yeah, I mean, that that movie actually has kind of rung true in a couple of different ways, you know, from some of the meetings and, you know, uh, one of my favorite parts is the product development meeting where they're talking about skyscrapers turning into robots. And it's like, who wants to play with a skyscraper? And so uh, luckily, our design team comes up with awesome concepts. And, uh, you know, whether it's fearsome dinosaurs or, or cuddly little uh, fox plush behind me, uh, it's always uh, it's always an adventure at Mattel looking at these toys. Oh my goodness. Tell me a day in your life in this role, because this is cool. You're, you're playing with these toys. You're, you're talking to movers and shakers in the toy biz, as well as other like major companies. Like you're doing licensing deals with major people. So what's a day in the life like? You know, there's areas where we can be proactive and, and <clears throat> okay, I know what's going to happen. And there's other areas where you just need to react to what's happening around you and do it quickly. And that's something obviously coming from broadcasting, Dave, I'm sure you can relate to that, the need to be quick on your your toes and nimble. But, you know, some of it is is email answering, of course, and meetings. And, you know, we'll talk to a lot of different stakeholders. Some are inside Mattel. And as you mentioned, with licensors, some are outside. So, you know, if we're talking to Universal and understanding, okay, when is the Jurassic world you know netflix content coming or you know okay minecraft has announced a movie Ooh, all right let's find out a little bit more about that and Ooh. you know some of those deals that are details that are coming up and then uh you know if it's working internally sometimes it's it's talking to finance and saying hey you know we were going to price the toy here but now we need to make it over here so these are the trade-offs that we're going to make to make sure that we're still profitable at the end of the day and then you know, working with the product teams and with our sales teams. And it's a, you know, uh, we like to think of ourselves as kind of the, the the hub and the central of the wheel. So there's a lot of different spokes. And so those meetings and those touch points are with the uh, a lot of other stakeholders. So got to make sure from a communication standpoint, you know, again, there's, there's places where I can be proactive and set those weekly status check-ins. Okay, is everything, you know, everything going okay? Nothing's on fire? Okay, great. <laughs> And there's other times where somebody will hand you a burning trash can and say, okay, you need to go fix this. So, okay, let me break out the fire extinguisher. Right. It sounds like every day is like a new thing. There's never like a boring day around there. If it's boring, that's the most dangerous kind of day, Dave, because mm -hmm. it's and it's funny that happened to us a couple of weeks ago where, you know, everybody's just coming back from break and 
looking around and there's no meetings on the calendar and emails are pretty slow. And it's, it's like that moment in, you know, like a Jurassic world movie where, okay, I, there's a Raptor around the corner somewhere, like what's going to happen. And sure enough, three things happen at the same time. It's like, Oh, okay. This is what I was expecting. So, uh, you know, so every day is a little bit of an adventure, but you know, some of it is also being able to, you know, prioritize and have time management skills to ensure that you have enough time to do everything in a day because, you know, as a, a former manager once told me, you know, if all you're doing is answering emails and all you're doing is solving other people's problems and that's important, but chances are you have some of your own problems that you need to solve and trying to look forward. And so that's where some of the other, you know, time management skills come into place, whether it's blocking time on a calendar or, you know, making sure that you have, you know, a day without meetings or whatever that, that trick is to kind of make sure that you can be at your productive best. And then, you know, again, take, in, take inventory of the, the timing and in areas of your life where you do well. You know, I, I drink coffee every day for sure, but I'm also my most productive between about 9 and 11 in the morning. So I know, okay, that's my my creative superpower time. So I try to block that time in the morning if I have large projects I need to work on, as opposed to if I have status check-ins that are kind of business as usual, you can do those in the afternoon. Got it. So, all right, say there's a new Jurassic World movie coming, all right? And you got to do the toy line thing. Like Mattel jumps into action. Take me through that process. How do you work with, I think, I think it's universal with Jurassic Park. Got it. Yep. Take me through that process of how you're involved in that. Sure. So I'll talk about the Mattel process and then my role within the Mattel process. So from a toy development standpoint, that's really our product team that will do that. So we'll have uh, designers and engineers and some of our product team will meet directly with Universal. They'll read the script. They'll see different iterations of the film as it comes to life. Uh, Previously at Mattel, I worked on the Cars team uh, when they introduced Cars 3. So we got to see a couple of screenings. It's really fun to see, like, especially in animation, you see the pencil sketches that then become the, the cartoon. And, and that kind of thing. So, and, you know, the animatics and you, you see that process of these things come to life. And so during that process, they'll tell you, you know, Universal will say, okay, these are the species of dinosaurs that will be in the film. And then ultimately what we want is the film reference, which is, okay, how's it going to look in the movie? Because again, as I mentioned, show to shelf is, is pretty important for us. So <clears throat> some of the toys, it's more important than others. If we're designing a younger aged toy line, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's more of a inspired by as opposed to, you know, this fearsome dinosaur that might have, you know, uh, just uh, sink its teeth into its prey. Then for a three year old, maybe we uh, <clears throat> have that be more of a smiley moment than a uh, than a snarly moment. Uh, but for those types of instances, you know, we're working with Universal to understand what the toys are, how they're going to look. And then ultimately we can get those 3D renderings. Uh, from the film again especially for things that are cgi like a jurassic world dinosaur or other things and then from our side what we look to do is okay as we design the overall line architecture of all the toys we're going to sell how are the different segments coming together and so there's our core scale of dinosaurs and that's going to be maybe two-thirds of the line but then we're also going to have electronic innovation and maybe there's a a dinosaur where you know you pull the leg back and it lets out a mighty roar or you know there's a a, there's a small simple fidget toy that's five dollars but you know you press down the back of his head and he snaps down you know his teeth and those are examples that are currently in the line um 
but gives you a sense. We also have our giant super colossals, which are, you know, five feet long dinosaurs that are absolutely enormous. And so as we're putting all these different pieces of the puzzle together, we then do this at a retail level, which is where I come in. I take that product line and then we say, okay, Walmart, you know, on your shelves is going to be four feet from left to right. And it's going to be nothing but Jurassic World dinosaurs. So mm. we're going to put the smaller ones here. We're going to put the medium sized ones down here. Then the ones that the kid really going to want, the super colossal, put that right at that four year old's eye level when they're walking into shelf. So a little bit of a trick of the trade there, Dave, is to make sure you understand the eye line of where your consumer will be. And then the product that you really want them to buy, that's the one that you put at their eye line. And then from the parent's perspective, want to make sure you got the right item for them too. So a lot of this has to do with, you know, we have Space Insights team that help us manage kind of how consumers walk the aisle and how they shop. All those insights inform the way that we bring the product to market and the way we set it up for accounts. So for something like the, uh, for a Jurassic World theatrical you know, the volume is going to be a lot bigger, but the, the and the line expands as a result of that. So we'll have, you know, maybe if we had four feet of space and then for the movie, we might ask for six feet of space. And, you know, we'll, we'll prove it out with numbers and the, yeah, like I said, the art and the science behind it. And we'll come up with products that are only available at Walmart or only available at Target so that the retailer has a reason to really lean in and sell more toys than they otherwise would. Okay. This is great how you're taking us behind the scene here. Okay. So you're telling me, Mattel goes, yo, Walmart, we got the toys. Here's how you're going to place them on your shelves. So, so it's not them. It's you guys with those instructions. We make a recommendation, of course. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> so worth noting, right. Walmart has something they call the layout center in Bentonville. Okay. And usually they don't let other people into the layout center for two reasons. Number one, there's competitive products. So, you know, if we were to look and we were to say, oops, I knocked that toy over from a competitor, we would never, Dave. But, uh, you know, that's so that's where they will go out and draw what they call their their modular or their mod. And so that's kind of, again, they look at it in four foot increments and they'll say, okay, here's how I'm going to put all the toys together. And then they will tell us when they give us the awards for the item, Meaning, okay, these are the dinosaurs that we're going to put on our shelves. They'll say, okay, I'm going to take these six. I'm not going to take this one. I don't want that one. This one I want to look like this instead of that, whatever the feedback is. And then we take that back and then we um, kind of set it up on our side. And I'll, I'll save the uh, supply chain uh, item set of details for the, for the follow-up uh, podcast episode. The, the, the not quite as fun jobs, but um, in terms of the, uh, the conversations with Walmart, uh, yeah, we, uh, we bring them into uh, the Mattel offices. We have a big showroom where we put all the toys up on the, on the, on the shelves and everything. And we, you know, we have some fun. We, we play some, some demo videos to get them uh, to understand the background of the brand. We'll have people from, you know, if it's a licensed brand like a universal or a Disney, we'll We'll bring them in to give a, a power of the brand franchise to kind of, you know, amp up the excitement. And then we talk through the toys and what makes them so special. Nice. Love it. So, Dave, tell me some of the skills. Okay. All right. Say I'm a kid coming out of school or maybe, you know, a middle-aged person uh, at a crossroads in their career. Uh, and they want to get into a role similar to yours or marketing toys, whatever. What kind of skills do they need? So there's there's you know sharp skills, quantitative skills, but there's also soft skills, and, and you're going to need both in in marketing. And whether that's working for Mattel or any other CPG consumer packaged goods industry, the the hard skills 
I know it's boring, but PowerPoint and Excel, that's kind of the fundamentals of the business. Um, and what that will allow you to do is the Excel is the quantitative business analysis. And, and certainly there's other tools other than Excel, but that's the default one that most companies use. And so what that's going to allow you to do is to look at data and then draw actionable insights, meaning, okay, if I'm looking at how people are buying our toys and we're looking at point of sale, POS data, okay, the POS is up, the POS is down. Well, why? And then what do I do with that information? And so being able to draw those business insights based off of data, that's a that's a very valuable skill in marketing. That's a big piece of what we do at Mattel is to make sure that we're doing making, you know, actionable data-driven insights. This the PowerPoint piece comes in because there's also a narrative storytelling aspect to it as well. And you want to be able to communicate your ideas effectively and clearly to different audiences. And that's something where you know, when we meet with different accounts, every presentation is going to be a little bit different, not just because, oh, I got to put the Walmart logo on this one and the Target on that one. But the way that those retailers approach not just toys, but really selling all merchandise is very different. So always want to make sure that you're you're tailoring the speech or the, the presentation to your audience. So that ability to give, you know, the presentations. And again, that's where you're mixing the quantitative with the qualitative that's all on the hard skill side. Then on the soft skills side, you know, communication and, and flexibility and, and time management. Those are all really important skills because again, in a given day, you might have enough time to go through all of the email. You might have enough time to go all go to all the meetings, but maybe there's two or three other, you know, side projects that are <clears throat> important but not urgent. And I had a boss once tell me, you know, if you think about everything in a quadrant of what's important versus not important and urgent and not urgent. The important, urgent stuff, that's easy to do. Like those are the things where you prioritize your time. Not important, not urgent. Okay, you can kind of let that one slide and you know you can just keep an eye on it, but it's fine. The real trick with productivity and being as efficient with your time as possible is to focus on the important, not urgent instead of the urgent, not important. And it's trying to sift out those two things it you know it, it it does take some experience and it takes one or two uh, you know runs through the laps around the track so to speak but you know if you have a good manager that can help you discern those things and be as efficient with your time then you know I think that would really help so that's those are some of the the hard skills and the soft skills that I think are, are really beneficial again not just in the Mattel ecosystem but really across marketing. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So let's talk school. Okay, you talked about how you went back to business. You went to business school and stuff. So if I'm, okay, so I'm at my pivot point. I'm like, uh, do I, I, okay, I want to work in marketing at a toy company. Do I need school? Is there any transferable way to like go lateral? Like, do I have to do schooling? You, you don't. Uh, you know, it, I will say the pay scale is a lot of times is based on education. But, you know, I'm, I'm a director level and we have vice presidents at Mattel that did not go to business school uh, because they have that practical experience. The advantage of going to business school is it's equivalent to, say, you know, maybe three, four, five years of work experience. And so if you have that work experience, you can absolutely, you know, supplement that MBA degree, those those three letters at the end of your name. Uh, the, the advantage of education, again, is really about that chance to explore on your own what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And that that doesn't necessarily mean you know, a, a six-figure investment in business school. That can be something as simple as, you know, for me, it was going to Santa Monica College and signing up for two accounting classes to say, okay, what's this with all these numbers? And 
assets, liabilities, and equity. Okay. All right. I understand that piece. And, you know, that was kind of the first step where I, where I felt like, okay, I like this, but I need something a little bit more structured, a little bit more formalized. And, you know, be, again, because my background wasn't in traditional business, I did have to take some time to, to understand a little bit more of the underpinnings of, of how those things come together. But um, so it's, it's it's not a must have from an MBA perspective. There's definitely ways to supplement, uh, especially okay. you know, and that's a that's a hefty investment, right? It's it's a bet on yourself. And it's an investment in yourself, but at the same time, like it's it's a, it's a bit of a luxury as well to be able to take that time. And you know, I know a lot of people will come into get the job first and then do business school while they're working. Um, sure. kudos to those people, by the way, because that is, talk about the importance of time management day. Like if you're doing school on top of work, like, holy smokes, that's, that's really impressive to be able to, to balance that many things at once. So, um, but yeah, so education for me, it was a, a transformative pivot moment, but I think for a lot of people, especially if they're on a little bit more of that linear path and they right. know, okay, I'm at point A, I know I want to get to point B. I think that's something that you can supplement with direct experience. Uh, but if not, you know, I was in a position where because I was making a pivot at age 30, I didn't really want to go back down to the bottom of the of the corporate ladder and climb up. So, you know, business school allowed me to accelerate that growth. So I came in as an associate manager instead of, you know, an assistant analyst, so to speak. Got it. Okay, good to know. Okay, Dave, let's talk about, okay, in recent years, Toys R Us, didn't they go bankrupt in the States Indeed, at some point? Yes. Let's talk about the Not future. necessarily north of the border, which is, uh, yeah, common misnomer, right? Well, yeah, like I, I'm in Canada. We have Toys R Us. I have one like 15 minutes away from me. So let's talk about the future of toys here. Mm -hmm. So I, if I'm getting into the toy industry, am I feeling good about it? Like, is there a future? Like, I'm thinking kids will always want toys. Kids will always want toys and parents will always want toys for their kids. I think from that standpoint, you know, it's and that's that's a difficult to, to stand on top of sand and say, yes, everything is rock solid because things shift. And, you know, a lot of people will compare the toy industry to the fashion industry because, you know, the trends and the tastes of our consumer base can change on a dime. You know, even something as simple as the way we communicate with our fans. It used to be Saturday morning cartoons. OK, you just have a commercial during a Saturday morning cartoon and there's your, the reach and the frequency of your audience, check, done. Then it was YouTube unboxing videos and somebody's like, like Ryan from Ryan's Toy Reviews. That was the next iteration. You say, okay, I'm going to put, uh, you know, I'm going to invest over here to make sure that everybody's, you know, understanding and reaching the audience. And now, you know, everything is so diffuse across, you know, so many different platforms. It's become a very, more, a much more dynamic fluid area. So the, the desire to buy toys is still strong. I think the challenge and the nuance that's really come into play in the last five or six years is communicating to our audience and how to reach them across platforms. Obviously, there's rightfully so a lot of safeguards in place in terms of what we can and can't do. But from a toy industry perspective, it's it's cyclical and it's it's something that's been around for a long time. So there will be years where it's up, there will be years where it's down. Uh, the pandemic resulted in a huge boom for the toy business because you know, speaking as a father, yeah, uh, I'm willing to invest in a, a pretty big toy if that's going to keep my kiddo, you know, occupied between, you know, the class Zooms while I'm trying to figure out my meeting cadence. And then, uh, you know, obviously inventory and supply is always a, a messy thing. Again, I'll, I'll try to avoid the more tactical elements of, of what we do. But, um, you know, it's from a, from a 
broad strokes perspective, the toy industry is something that has been, you know, a, a huge underpinning. And even when times get tough, two places where people usually don't want to hold to, to pull back is spending on their kids and spending on their pets. And as a also as a dog owner, I can confirm both of those things are true. Right. So it's interesting, like you just mentioned a lot of disruption. Okay, so you're talking about how you know, uh, Mattel's had to like adjust through different ways to reach their audience because the media is so fragmented. Back in the day, yeah, you could do that commercial and reach all those kids who love He-Man. Yeah, but nowadays it's YouTube, it's podcasts, it's everywhere. So it, disruption, is there another disruption coming in terms of toys themselves, the making of toys? Are you, is there anything like that? Or like, is AI going to do something? I don't know. Ooh, so a AI, that's a tricky one, right? So, you know, Mattel is trying to navigate that space and understand what those guardrails are because, hmm. you know, we have best in class design teams that come into play and we want to leverage that creativity as much as possible. AI can supplement that design process, but, you know, Mattel is, is rightfully being very careful in that space to understand how to approach AI. And that's a conversation I would need to kick over to that team to be able to give you the specifics of it. But in terms of the disruption, you know, there's there's a there's a constant disruption. So there's a constant evolution. I would say whether it's something like video games coming into play and or, you know, where where kids are watching their content or new trends that come in that we didn't see coming. You know, Squishmallow uh, plush toys is something that that became a billion dollar brand almost overnight. And that's something that from a from an insights and perspective standpoint, you know, we didn't really see it coming. Then all of a sudden it's like, holy smokes, that really, uh, that really blew up. And so, you know, then everybody tries to get in and, and understand, okay, how do we, how do we chase some of this trend down and, and come up with something that's meaningful to the consumer that they'll want. Uh, but yeah, from a disruption standpoint, there's always something lurking around the, the next corner, whether it's a new brand or a substitute, you know, if you look, if you think of, uh, you know, Michael Porter is a famous uh, business professor at Harvard Business School. He came up with five forces in terms of any industry has to balance these five forces. And the forces are threat of substitute and threat of new entrant. And there's definitely a lot of that in toys, as we just mentioned. Threat of the buyers, uh, threat of the suppliers. That's that's a little bit different in terms of changing taste to the consumer, but also how we source materials and how do we do that as sustainable as possible? You know, that's a, it's been a challenge for Lego. Um, you know, obviously Lego is its own company, but them trying to understand how do I make a sustainable brick that's not just based off of, uh, you know, plastic, that's a challenge. And that's something that we're always looking at Mattel is how do we reduce our footprint from a sustainability standpoint? And that's, you know, that's a challenge for us. And then the last one is a competitive rivalry. And, there's a little bit of that in toys, you know, as I mentioned, you know, if we're if, if they let us into that layout center, we might try to nudge out a uh, another another brand. Uh, to Don't mess with us, Hasbro. Don't mess with us. Yeah. So, you know, and and different manu toy manufacturers excel yeah. in different areas. Right. So, sure. you know, Lego in the construction world, they do such an amazing job there. Kudos to them. You know, Mattel fashion dolls is really uh, fashion dolls and die cast vehicles is right. The bread and butter of what we do extremely well as a company and Hasbro, you know, board games, uh, you know, they have the dominant share in that category. So, sure. and, uh, and, and kudos to Jazzware for, for acquiring Squishmallow and, and being able to take a leadership position there. So, you know, we, we have a balanced portfolio at Mattel. We play in a lot of different spaces and some areas were the leader, some areas were a challenger, but, you know, we're always trying to, uh, to, to try to adapt and, and figure out, okay, where is that disruption coming from? And, and how do I, if I can't capitalize on it, how do I mitigate it? Got it. Good stuff. 
Dave, so listen, man, this has been a very insightful conversation. Is there any uh, one last tip uh, for the the viewers, the listeners out there who are, you know, embarking on their career or doing a pivot like you did? Any tip? The, the thing I would go back to that we touched on earlier is, you know, every person is going to have strengths and weaknesses. And a lot of times the temptation is, okay, let me focus on all my weaknesses so I can just become this, this jack of all trades and I will become indispensable if I can do every single thing. And I would submit that a better way to look at this is how do I make that one strength a towering strength so that that's where I really stand out from other people. And that's something that, you know, it's some advice that I got early on in my career uh, in marketing. And that's something that really transformed how I was able to accelerate my career. And, and it does two things. Number one, if I'm focusing on my strengths and relaying those to my company, then they're going to know, okay, this is how I put Dave in a position where I can get the most out of him, right? Because this is a two-way street. But also the things that I'm really good at, chances are I enjoy doing those things. And where you can find the overlap of the Venn diagram of what your towering strengths are with what you like to do, that's going to be something where you're really going to enjoy the work that you're going to do. You're going to be good at it. And that's really going to lead to, to great things. So, so my advice is to try to understand where those, you know, towering strengths are and not to say you can ignore all weaknesses. I did eventually have to learn how to build a PowerPoint deck, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that we also have some producers here that can help me out uh, if I need some custom animations. And instead I, uh, I get to do the talking, which is uh, the part I really like. Beautiful. Awesome, Dave. Uh, one last question. So how much was that discount on that Grace call again? Dave, you tell me we can work something off on the side, but uh, it's it's usually a decent discount. So, um, but really enjoyed uh, being uh, having a chance to connect with you and, and talk through the toy industry. So can't thank you enough for the time. That's some awesome stuff. Dave, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your story, talking about your experience at Mattel. Like how cool is it to work at a toy company? Whenever I think, you know, working at a toy company, I think Tom Hanks in the movie Big, when he's playing with all those toys, just testing them out in that boardroom. Like, come on, man. You get paid for that? Love it. Dave, thank you, sir. Thank you again. All right, that's it for this episode. Please feel free to subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast. Until next time, take care and have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Ultimate Fun Jobs Podcast. Remember to also check out the Ultimate Fun Jobs YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button. Until next time, have a great week.